Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Movie Magpies, where we will be discussing The Prestige. I'm Monique, and I'm here with my co-host Will. How about we just get right into it? Alright, so this, since this is the in-depth discussion, would we need to provide a summary for people who haven't seen it? You know, I think it's good to do, because I do know a couple people who prefer to listen to in-depth discussions before seeing the movie. That is fair I do want to say... As part of our warnings, I am going to warn that there are explicit deaths. Sorry. I am going to say we have warnings for explicit deaths and violence in this movie. And another warning that I want to say is that this is not a movie that you should listen to our in-depth discussion for unless you have seen the movie. Because it has a lot of twists and turns and it's you just need to experience those for yourself. Absolutely. And worse off, I'm going to spoil it pretty much immediately into the in-depth discussion (laughs) so if you don't want it spoiled go and watch it you can come back to this at any time but yeah i'm going to spoil it pretty damn quickly so but what is the summary for those who do not know what the prestige is about in our review we did the netflix summary and we discussed that it isn't a hundred percent accurate so i am just gonna spitball here sure i would say this movie is about two magicians who morph from having a friendly who morph from having a friendly rivalry to a very destructive violent rivalry all because of something that happened in their past yeah it looks sort of into the behind the scenes of magic or in this time period and it also looks at what can cause people to obsess over their passions yeah but with the sense that it foreshadows with what we talked about in the review it foreshadows a great deal straight from the get-go without revealing anything until you know its twist i think this film first off does a really great job in that we spend a great deal of the film watching the life and the trials and tribulations of Angier, so Hugh Jackman's character, Robert Angier. And what I find really interesting, which I wanted to point out very quickly, it doesn't actually spoil anything, but what I wanted to point out really quickly is that Angier has almost a reverse of the stereotypical character arc, in that he falls into a negative trait and suffers the great tragedy of it, of his new self, Mm -hmm. in that what I have so far constantly talked about in terms of storytelling is that in stereotypical character arc a character will be one way up until a certain point where he's he or she is introduced to their new self they choose to either reject that self and continue the path that they had initially planned meeting either failure or a need to change or they accept themselves and reach the crisis point where they are confronted with the consequences of their new self and then reach the conclusion where they're a better version of themselves for staying on that path. For Angia, he starts out as a relatively good man. I mean, ultimately, you can talk and debate the morality of magicians or illusionists, really, to death. But ultimately, he's not a bad man, at the start, anyway. You can see that he really derives great joy from magic, and from his profession. Yeah, he's passionate about what he does, and he has a great deal of passions in his life. He has a wife whom he loves very dearly, and he finds joy in magic during a time where it was a lucrative and viable occupation. I Mm -hmm. think people of that time were looking more and more to the entertainment of people who could provide it in 
miraculous and interesting ways. Hence why these illusionists are actually quite well off once they start to make a name for themselves. But with Angier, he starts to tip after the death of his wife, and as a result starts to spiral into a negative character arc, where by the end, he is a worse man for his decisions. And it, in fact, leads him to destruction. Yes, exactly. In a way, it is very clearly a tragedy-oriented character arc. But with that one yeah. point... Yeah, but with that one point spoiled that his wife dies quite early on, she... I wouldn't really call that a spoiler. It's not a spoiler, no. It <laughs> happens so quickly in the film that it's just how it is. Upsettingly, but... I've noticed there's not a lot of character development for our female leads. No, especially not positive. Exactly. But that's just how it is. I think the film, to to its credit, the film spends a lot more time on its two lead characters, and I don't, I won't spoil it yet. But its two lead characters, and then it doesn't have a whole lot of space and time for character arcs of other characters. I don't think a whole lot of any of the other side characters get a whole lot of arc. To be fair, so I don't actually think it's very true. I don't really think it's a issue on the depiction of women in film necessarily for this one but I don't think it spends a whole lot of time building characters other than Angia and Borden and it truly does just focus on Angia and Borden yeah and to be our... fair that is still quite a monolithic task oh gosh yeah they're incredibly complicated characters yeah <laughs> absolutely you could say you're almost dealing with more than two characters in this sense but <laughs> We, I just want to finish with Angier in that his you can really tell where his character arc reaches a point where there is no turning back and it's the point where he has an outburst that reveals that he no longer cares like the reason his motivations for doing what he does and trying to get revenge on Borden is no longer about revenge for his wife and his motivation becomes completely unclear after that point but he is just so motivated by now this foundationless revenge that that's what his character becomes and he ends up doing terrible things for it trying to using basically an accident oh well an accident that he planned in his favor to steal Borden's daughter as the ultimate revenge and have him killed for his seeming murder which doesn't actually happen it's so interesting that he starts as someone with this like love of magic and He even echoes that love of magic in the last sort of five minutes of the film, where he says something like it was never about being able to trick them, like they all know, the audience knows the world is like hard and cold. It's about the look on their faces when just for a minute they believe you. But I also find that that's a very, really compelling but sinister end result for his character in that it almost comes across more as they want to be tricked. So I'm doing mm-hmm. them a favor by tricking them. Like I said, it's yeah. almost a perverse. Yeah, it's incredibly compelling, and yeah, I also it's find incredibly it really, compelling. Yeah, I also find it really strong that he's framed in a way that he comes across as our protagonist for a great period of the film, and also you're set off really early on liking him because he's Hugh Jackman. He's played by Hugh Jackman, so it's hard not to like him straight off the bat because Hugh Jackman is a likable guy. But I really like the change because it almost seems reasonable within his layers of context and within what we know about what happens to him, that he would take these steps and take these measures, and then it leads to this ultimate boiling point 
where it just does not end well for him, even though he's achieved all that he planned on achieving, but there was just one little bit that wasn't wasn't something that he had even considered, and it's purely because of this one little aspect that I find where Angie's character, he has the passion for magic, but he lacks the ambition that Borden has. Borden has the ambition to create something new, but he lacks the passion for it in the same way that Angie does. Mm-hmm. But... I find that most interesting because of, and I'm going to spoil it now, because of the fact that the contingency that he had not planned for, his magic, his trick would have gone perfectly and he would have ended up getting away with stealing Borden's daughter if he had known that Borden, his big trick, could only happen because he was two people pretending to be one person. It is such an amazing twist to this yeah. movie. So to reveal the twist, Borden is actually two men, two twins, who have who have the same life and poses the same as the one person to build up to their crowning magic trick, the the transporting man, which basically in the show is him bouncing a ball across the stage and then catching it faster than any person could after passing through a door. Yeah, he sort of puts himself bounces the ball, puts himself in a box, and then comes out on the other side of the stage from a different box and catches the ball. And it's a, for its time, is a trick that many seem to have been completely astounded and bewildered by. But I think it's also incredibly interesting because this concept doesn't actually come out of nowhere either. Because of the film, because of the twist... Once you've watched it through a second time, or if it has been spoiled for you, like it was for Monique, sadly. Unfortunate. You can see this foreshadowed quite heavily throughout the film, in that it's basically almost hidden just under your nose, and all you need to do is look down. One of the criticisms that I've seen, and I'll, I will quickly like credit them, so Mr. Sunday Movies and other podcasts that reviews films, they talk about how this twist is really great, but also, if you're very observant, you'll notice immediately that Borden is always being followed by a man who looks exactly like Christian Bale, just a little, di- a li- slightly different. A little and chubbier. A, yeah, a little chubbier, a little slightly off, but ultimately that does give it away quite a bit if you're just like, wait, that's Christian Bale. Mm. Are they related? Yes. In the film, yes. It's one but, of those yeah. things where I spoilt it for myself just because of the nature of the way that we review films together. I just unfortunately yeah. happened to see a note that said the word twin i was like oh <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> it was a um, bit of a detriment for that in that sense yeah unfortunate but of course we all learn as we go ahead how to take steps to avoid spoilers to a movie you've never seen before yeah but i am one of those people that likes to look at the background anyway I've always been that person that goes to a stage show and likes to watch all of the people who change the sets behind the scenes, just because I find that incredibly interesting. So even if I hadn't have known, I feel like one of the things that really would have stood out to me, especially because of what you've told me about Chekhov's gun, is the bird analogy, where the bird is in the cage, they smash the cage down and then pull the bird out and the little boy goes, they killed him and he goes, no, the bird's right here and he goes, but where's his brother? Where's his brother, yeah. And And I'm like, oh! Yeah, and that brings me on to like just a little part of the point that I want to talk about that if you know this spoiler or if you know this twist and can see it coming, it doesn't make the film any less enjoyable. 
No, it the just, film it, If it's the first time really watching well. it through, it just means that you're looking for more and you have more to look for. And I think this film does a really good job at foreshadowing that stuff. And then why, why what I said in the review that watching it through a second time over makes it so much more enjoyable because second time through you're watching, you're trying to figure out which Borden is which. Yeah, and I was even going to ask you, do you have any distinctions that you made between the two Bordens? Like, yes. is there a specific distinction that you found during the film that separated them? Because yeah. I could never pick it, even though I knew it was coming. Even on my second watch through, I could never pick which one was which besides, like, volume. Yeah, and well, like to, one of them is louder. <laughs> to the credit of the story, I've watched this through many, many times, purely because I really enjoy watching this film through just to pick apart these little bits, but for the most part, the Borden who actually ends up getting arrested and executed by the end of the film is the cocky one, and the one who ends up getting away and getting his daughter back is the calm, collected one. And purely based on how well the two Bordens do at living the same life, the only way you can tell them apart is through their personality. Mm -hmm. And, or the direction or motivation of their character. And this is a more subtle example of this is once you've watched it through one time, some of his tricks actually start to become more understandable and clear. Not necessarily the transporting man, because that one makes complete sense once you know the twist. Yeah. But when he meets the woman who becomes his wife, Sarah, he walks her home and then says, do you think that lock's really going to keep me out? And then walks away. And once she walks in, back into her apartment, he's already in there. Mm-hmm, yeah. But it becomes explicitly obvious once you watch it through a second time when, before he walks her home, he does a little coin trick for her nephew, mm -hmm. I think it is. And then he explain he doesn't explain the trick, he explains the business and financial side behind keeping a trick secret. Yeah, yeah, you he's know, not like, oh, this is the trick. He's like, don't tell anyone what the trick is. Yeah, it's and there's no explicit love for magic in that eye. There's a, in those eyes, there is this almost financial or glory-based motivation in that those eyes. And that's, it becomes explicitly clear that he's the cocky one or the brash Borden who's walking Sarah home, being confident and chatty with her until she gets to her apartment where the calm collected Borden who actually likes her is climbing in through the window to wait in the apartment. And that's what I was going to ask is you can... I have obviously my own thoughts about this, yeah. but specific scenes like that that are pivotal, I guess, not to the storyline, but to like the timeline, you can sort of pick like who do you think was at or who do you believe was at each event. Yeah. E.g. in this one, because we know that the more calm Borden is the one that falls in love with the wife. Yeah you immediately assume, okay, so he's usually the one, like, he would have been the one that took her out on the date. But then the coin thing happens, and you're like, but he wouldn't do that, especially in front of a girl that he's, like, genuinely crushing on. Yeah. So that helps you sort of second watch round for me. That's what helps me tick over who would go to each thing. Yeah, and I think this is why this film is still enjoyable on third, fourth, fifth, a hundredth rewatch because the film always goes to great lengths to to foreshadow the fact that there are two Bordens. 
but never ever makes it explicitly clear which one is which. So you're still given this wonderful opportunity to pick them apart or figure them out for which one they are. And there are later points in the film, well, there is always like really good foreshadowing where Sarah, his wife at that point, can always tell when he says I love you that sometimes he doesn't truly mean it. Yeah, and before you know the twist, when she says that, I mean, even I accidentally spoiled it for myself, and in that moment I still didn't think of it until my second watch round, it's because it depends on which twin is with her on the yeah. time, and she eventually figures it out herself specifically because of that. Well, we well, assume she, she figures no, it out. No, she doesn't figure it out. She never figures it out at any point, I think, but it, and that's why it's literally tearing her apart in that some days her husband just does not love her and she has no idea why. You see, but I felt like at the very, very end she started figuring it out. Not 100%, like she wasn't 100% sure she wanted him to confirm it for her, but she was like, I can't keep living like this, I can't keep living like not knowing whether or not it's my husband who I'm talking to was the vibe yeah, that I got from Well, her. I think, here's the thing, I don't think it's so much that, though I think that is an interesting point. I think it is more that she knows something's not right, she can't figure out what it is, and within the bounds of late 19th century mentality and psychology, she thinks that she is more likely going insane. True. As opposed to figuring out that he has a brother who is living the exact same life as him. When, yeah, found thinking that your husband might not be your husband all the time, you're going to think, oh, I'm crazy, not he has a secret twin. Yeah. So I completely understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, exactly. But it's also the reinforcing of the fact that there are two brothers is done in such a wonderfully enjoyable way in that you're constantly given reinforcing points or reinforcing foreshadowing that it's two guys. Like, one of my favourite bits is just after the failed bullet catch in which Borden is now striking out on his own as a magician and this is just after Angie's wife has died in which Borden tied a knot that no one knows which one it was and she ended up drowning because she couldn't get it untied. Mm-hmm. And when asked at the funeral, the one who attends the funeral doesn't know and that's because that's the one who actually has a respect for Angia. The one who actually goes to the show with Angia. The one, the only points in which we're seeing a genuine mutual relationship between Angia and Borden are between the calm Borden and Angia, where they discuss their love and passion for magic. And he, out of respect, he comes to the funeral to apologize. And Angia says, which not did you tie and he goes I don't know and it's because he genuinely didn't know because he didn't and tie it that's exactly what I wanted to lead on to is you almost well for me I believe that it was the karma one that yeah. went to the funeral he, yeah he was but I also thought in that moment because of the nod that they gave on stage to the, obviously Borden nods at um, the wife where, before he ties the knot that it was the the one smarter one in that moment yeah. because they would have pre-discussed it and then when they come to the funeral and he says I don't know I was like oh okay yeah. so that he wasn't the one on stage and that for me was a really pivotal moment well, is you can always tell who's who a little bit after it happens almost yeah well here's like, the thing the one who who tied the knot on the wife is is the cocky Borden yeah 
and the mm-hmm. one they have the arg- in the room where they're having the argument because also this is another way you can kind of tell them apart in that the interaction that the cocky warden has with Angia is about arguing. They're arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you don't think I know how to tie a knot? And, and it becomes this thing of pride for him. He ties the knot because he is cocky and has this sense of pride about himself. He ends up tying a knot. You could have any opinion about what happened behind the scenes between the two Bordens, where he goes, I don't know, I don't know which one I tied, or I tied the right one, or whatever. But as far as we know, the calm Borden doesn't know, because he wasn't on stage, he wasn't the one tying the knot. And then, at the failed bullet catch, he's the one performing the magic, the calm one. And when mm-hmm. Angie points the gun at him, because we've also been given this lead-up and foreshadowing that the gun doesn't have a bullet in it, and that's how the bullet catch works. But we've also been warned of the dangers that, by Michael Caine, that someone could put a bullet or a button in there, and it would have the same effect as being, you know, as firing an actual bullet. Yeah. So when we find that Andrew is the one holding the gun, we realise immediately, without having to be visually told too much, that he's probably put a bullet in there. And he goes, which knot did you tie? And in this moment, there is true fear because Borden still doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't know. I also find it quite poignant that Fallon, in this scene, he wasn't paying attention to who he picked. He just picked some random so that they could get the trick going and done so then they could show it off and make it happen. Yeah. And as a result, he ended up getting his brother's finger shot off. But and the as point a result, I, yeah. getting his own fingers chopped off. Yeah, the point that I lead back onto is that they have to chisel his finger off so that, it, so that they're sharing the same life. But there is a scene in which Sarah is washing the wound and she goes, God, it, it looks just as bad as the day it happened. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty likely that they had to do it a little bit later. Because they had to wait for his to heal yeah, pretty just much. enough that they could make sure that it was even and i think that's really cool and really great but i wanted to lead it on to just a little point in the middle that this like twin twist is really interesting because it is actually based on a real illusionist of the time what yeah i didn't tell you about this because i wanted to reveal it to you i'm sorry so it's not two twins but in this film they go to see a show of a a man from the orient doing a Mm -hmm. trick in real life that man actually existed he wasn't chinese he was British. He was very clearly British as well, but it was during a period of time where not a lot of people had seen Asian men or Asian elderly men. And I'm not going to stay on this point for too much because other reviews review it better, but this man actually spent his entire life pretending to be an Asian man from the mysterious Orient who would do magic and used to do the bullet-catching trick. However, in his last act, he did the bullet-catching trick and someone had put a button or something in it and it hit him. And the mm. only English words he spoke were, oh god, I've been shot, something's happened, pull down the curtains, and then he died. Oh. Yeah, but it's it's one of these things where it's like, this actually was the mentality of some illusionists. So it actually... you had to live your craft, like you had yeah, to live basically. in the illusion. So that's why I find it really interesting, because it's done in such an interesting and compelling way in this film because ultimately you can't do the same thing again it's a little bit racist and also it probably wouldn't age very well either oh it definitely wouldn't yeah. age very so well. having the twins 
twist is actually super interesting because it adds so much more to the film. Mm-hmm. Speaking of adding on to the film, yeah. I really wanted to ask you, actually, who do you think in this film, of course, because it's such a star cast of actors, who do you think really bodies or embodies their character best? Uh, David Bowie. No, um, <laughs> no, I've talked about that in the review. David Bowie is wonderful and amazing, but I lo- love him most when he's playing David Bowie. Honestly, I think Michael Caine is great as his character. I, don't, I didn't look up his name, but I think it's, it's a tough one between Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, but I would give it to Jackman just because he's not playing two characters in this film. Actually, no, right. he is, isn't he? <laughs> Never mind. I, I'm still going to give it to Hugh Jackman because his playing of the drunk actor only helps enhance his performance as Angier. I completely forgot as, that he played double. Yeah, as opposed to Christian Bale playing two sides. Well, two characters who are vaguely similar but minutely different. Mm. So instead, with Hugh Jackman's character, Angia, he has this very strong character arc that's visible throughout the film and really a powerful depiction of what anger and revenge can lead you to. But also he plays his character incredibly well as a man who performs as a magician but still has so much lying underneath that all of that. Mm-hmm. And then with the added addition of him playing the drunkard who is his double for his transporting man trick, it just helps enhance that point because in... <laughs> As the drunk man, he's more just like, oh, hello, and just all over the place. As a... I genuinely forgot that yeah. he played well, the um, drunkard. such a minute character. Well, yeah, he's such a minute character, but also just because they're so ridiculously different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's what gives him the edge in that point. Mm. Mm-hmm. But with the subject of Angier, I, we bring up to the point where the second kind of twist, where... Borden sends him down to America to speak to Tesla about the solution to the transporting man trick in that he he sought out Tesla for a machine and he and Tesla built a machine but when Angie goes to him Tesla's like nothing like that exists I didn't make a machine and he's just like I will wait for whatever and then he makes a cloning machine for Angie and it's, it's- the it's the point where you have to sort of suspend disbelief. Mm, I think it's done well in the film where because the film is all about magic tricks and sort of illusions, you kind of already suspend your disbelief a little bit, um, which makes it a little easier when this sort of left field actual magic comes out. And I think the logic surrounding it is still quite sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It's kind of looking, you feel like you're looking into the backwards of a magic trick, but instead of it being... Of with, smoke yeah. and mirrors, it's genuinely magic, which yeah, is with a just, slight, it, yeah, with the slight caveat that there's just like one little thing that can't be explained, but it's very simple, and then everything else is explained. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is fine. But with this secondary twist within the film, where he succeeds in being able to clone himself to create his version of the transporting man. But what I find so incredibly interesting is that because of Angie's lack of ambition with magic, he ends up going down a path where he clones himself multiple times and kills the original of the two clones every single time. Where in reality, he could have cloned himself once and then had the same results. 
I think I even mentioned that when we were yeah. watching it. I was like, what? So he cloned himself that one time and then realized that he could just sit. Yeah, and I remained quiet for that just because ultimately if I told you that he doesn't do that, he just keeps cloning himself and killing the original, then you'd be slightly confused because ultimately it's so it would be so much easier if he just cloned himself and then had himself mm. be up there. But also it, it lends to his mentality that he wants to be the man on the stage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if he had to share the spotlight with himself, I don't think he could do that. Which is exactly sort of how you realise how far he's fallen. Yeah, exactly. And I really love the imagery of this. I think we spoke about the way that this film foreshadows, but we see all the top hats at the very start. Yes. And because I'd never seen this movie before, I genuinely went in blind. I trust you, Will. I shouldn't, but I do. So, (laughs) um, you were like, yeah, we're watching this movie. And I went, cool, I'm not even going to look this up. I ain't even going to see what it's about. So, we saw the top hats at the very start of the movie, and I was like, oh, is somebody trying to, like, kill magicians to get their secrets? Or, like, what's happening? And at the end, no, that's just one magician killing himself. Just one magician killing himself over and over again. Yeah. And he uses that to his benefit to get bored in... Infamy. Yeah, well, to get Borden arrested for his seeming murder. That too. Yeah, because we're given hints to it throughout the film where Michael Caine's always kind of talking about the murder, and that's his, like, series through the film where he's speaking to proprietors and people who are buying on the on the behalf of a mysterious individual who likes to collect illusionists merchandising. Spoilers, it's Angia disguised as another man. But I love how you just said spoilers, as if we haven't been spoiling. Don't so matter, many but I, I, I say it in a more facetious tone. But, oh, you're being funny. Yeah, but with Michael Caine's character, he like reveals that the tank that the dead Angie drops into, the lock wasn't a normal lock that could be picked. It was a regular lock. Well, it wasn't a magic lock, or a lock used for magic. It was a. Lock it wasn't a that fake was, lock. That's yeah, supposed it wasn't a fake lock. Basically, un- yeah. Yeah. So there is this sense that once you get to the end of the film, you realise that Angie planned on framing Borden for murder. And he didn't plan, he successfully. Well, yeah, but you also get the idea or the implication that that night he planned on having him framed, mm-hmm. is what I mean. In that it was his plan for Borden to show up because he was goading him to show up. And then the original version, which is actually just a clone, of Angia drops into the tank and then dies. So then Borden can be framed for it to steal his daughter and get the ultimate revenge. But not taking into account the true, well, the actual fact that there are two Bordens leading to his ultimate end where... He is killed by the other Borden, the more reserved Borden, who just wanted to, after his wife killed herself, he just wanted to leave Angier alone, and he realised the fault of himself, and mm, that, okay. that revenge would get him nowhere but, th- but pain and misery for the people that he loves, and he just wants to live the rest of, live with his daughter and make sure she's, she lives a good life free from all of that and because one of the Bordens is cocky and prideful he ends up going Mm-hmm. and it's super interesting to me in this moment because just before the framing scene yeah. where the cocky Borden gets framed for the murder yeah. they're talking to each other and he says we're not going back there we're leaving yeah. it alone but it sounds like it's the cocky brother that's saying that not the more reserved one yeah. just from the like tone and then he turns around and does it, which I thought was very, very interesting. Mm. 
because it still remains reasonable within what we know of his character and what I find immensely interesting is because in a world where both Bordens work seamlessly together in perfect harmony this trick wouldn't work on them but because both Bordens are starting to divide because they can't remain the same person forever mm-hmm. only one of them is tricked and it's the one that Angie spends the most time around the one that he had had all these years of competing with and the rivalry with which was the prideful one not mm-hmm. the one who just remained reserved and wanted to do his tricks and do magic for the love of magic. Yeah. And that's why do- the trick doesn't work on him. And I find that immensely interesting. I also find it really interesting that there's the parallel, this movie parallels itself so many times, but yes. of wife dead because of magic gone wrong, technically. Yeah. Uh, you see Borden turns around and accepts that, well, one of them does, and yes. sort of revenge won't lead anywhere whereas the other one turns the complete other way angia turns around and goes i want revenge yeah this isn't about revenge anymore now i'm just fucking crazy yeah pretty much and it's it's the obsession leading to a tipping point in character Mm -hmm. but one thing i do want to say is that with the characters how they are you go from being on angia's side to tipping towards borden's side but not knowing why and then once you're given the final idea of what's going on, you see that the true like protagonist of this entire film was the calm, collected Borden, who, whose character is enhanced, or is strengthened throughout the film, and he suffers a great loss, but his motivation remains to take care of his daughter, and it all just becomes about his, keeping his daughter safe. And one of the scenes that, on second watch through, I loved most of all about Borden's character, which cemented him as the protagonist for me, was during the scene in which Sarah and Borden have an argument, the cocky Borden have an argument about what's going on, and she's trying to get him to just be honest with her and understand what's going on. The calm Borden, who is also the father of, of their daughter, comes into the room as Fallon. He doesn't go into the room to dissolve the argument. He doesn't go in there to mediate anything that's going on because Fallon can't talk. They're just outside the room, aren't they? Uh, who specifically are you talking about? The Fallon. Yeah, Fallon Fallon and her daughter just in the corridor outside. But Fallon comes in, he holds his daughter's head and basically gives this subtle... gesture of very clear affection towards the daughter and then carries her out of the room so that she doesn't have to be there to witness the argument it's a very very it's a beautiful scene yeah yeah it's this act of devotion to his daughter that you see because of what's happening and you know in that moment that he would do anything for his daughter because he doesn't just pick her up and like take her out of the room so she doesn't have to hear it he He stops he puts his hand over like makes her you know look at him so that she can stop focusing on the words and then picks her up and takes her out once she's a little bit distracted yeah and it's this it's also like held with this underlying fact that just in the other room his relationship with his wife who he loves 
very dearly is being destroyed by his brother, who he also loves very dearly. But in order to keep the trick, well, to keep the illusion going, he can't go in there. So he knows that his relationship with his wife is going to fall apart completely. Because his brother is a cocky and prideful man who yeah. wants to live his own life, but they both have to live the same life. And as a result, he knows his relationship's going to fall apart, so he's going to focus on the one that he needs to keep stable for his daughter's sake. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's a really beautiful scene. And then I think another really beautiful scene in that same vein is when Fallon goes to visit Borden at the prison just before he's executed. Yeah. And they have a moment where the cocky Borden is just so openly vulnerable he's not with as, his brother. Uh prideful anymore yeah he knows his he knows his mistakes and he's gonna apologize to the only person that it matters that he apologized to his brother and it's a very powerful scene where his brother if he could he would get him out of that cell but he can't you know even with all the magic that they have and and the skills and knowledge and intelligence that they both have if he were to break him out of there then they'd be searching for a borden and then that's a toss of the coin of which borden gets caught and also yeah. their, their daughter or his daughter would be in danger. So neither it's, one the of them The choice was already made, yeah. you know. In that moment, there's an acceptance from both the brothers that the more prideful one paid for his pride in the worst way possible, and there's not anything they can do about it even if they wanted to. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's one of these things that is just... It's why it was such a tough call between which actor fills their role best because Christian Bale goes to fucking town on both characters and he's just genuinely incredible. And I think it's really interesting to note just while we're on the point of this final scene between the brothers, yeah. I knew that there was a twin. Yeah. I didn't pick up on the fact that Fallon was the twin for a very long I time. Well, I think at that point if you don't realise that there's a twin, I think that you just haven't been paying attention to the film. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, I spoiled the twin for I know, myself. but no, I mean just in general, in, mm. in a broad statement, I think most people will have figured out there was a twin by then. Mm-hmm. But for me, it wasn't yeah. until this specific moment talk between the bars when he goes, I'm sorry about... Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. I almost said Olivia. That's the other one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry about Sarah. Like, I didn't mean to hurt her. I went, oh, yeah. okay, I yeah. see. But I want to kind of move away from that, from this stuff in that it's incredibly beautiful and it's incredibly powerful to see these actors play these characters and more specifically to see Christian Bale play two characters who have such an interesting dynamic but pull it off so well. But I wanted to talk partially about their rivalry because the rivalry, just like the underlying illusion of the magic, is actually based on a real rivalry during the time. And it oh, was, is it? Yeah, it was. But it was based on the closest thing that these people had to magic during the 19th century. And that is science. Ooh, is this pointless research time? Yeah, so this week's pointless research is about a rivalry that is slightly depicted in film. It's not the whole rivalry. I'm actually going to be talking about Edison. So we get minute mentions of Edison throughout the film as he's the main rival to Tesla and he's trying to stop Tesla quite regularly. Throughout the film we see two occasions where he immediately, well he gets in Tesla's way once at the science expo which is called something different in this film but I've forgotten and then 
in the end when he burns down Tesla's laboratory at the hands of mercenaries who he's paid for, but it's because of Edison. But in real life, their relationship wasn't really a rivalry. It was more Edison was an asshole in real life. So this week's pointless research is dedicated to history and not unfurling mystery. It is pointless research dedicated to Edison, the Edison of a bitch. Which, yeah, they're gonna, the titles are gonna get more punny as we go on. Amazing. But uh, Edison was known to be quite an in- influential inventor, but are you actually aware that he didn't invent the light bulb? The thing that he was most famous for. Many inventors had actually been able to create incandescent lights by 1878 at the earliest. Edison instead looked at modifying the current inventions to be easier to produce and cheaper to manufacture. That's why he's famous. He also patented what is now more well known as the incandescent light bulb. But that's why he's got the claim to fame because he has the patent for it. Right, okay. However, in his real life, many of the competing inventors that Edison faced were subjected to cutthroat public smear campaigns, hence why he was one of the most prolific inventors of the time, because other inventors were more heavily besmirched. One such example is a George Westinghouse, who had become the pioneering force behind AC power after purchasing Tesla's patents. Edison was known for besmirching these inventors' names by claiming that AC power was too dangerous for public use. And to prove his point, Edison regularly used AC power to electrocute animals. One such being more notably a elephant, in which he used to regularly, in public spaces, electrocute animals. What? Yeah, he he was an arsehole. He used to torture animals to try and prove that AC power was dangerous for public use. Even more so, to this point, the invention of the first electric chair was produced by one of Edison's descendants in his field of research as a further attempt to associate Westinghouse's invention of AC power with death and lethality, as it was specifically designed to use AC power. However, as a result, the first use of the electric chair was actually non-lethal. In in 1890, the electric chair was first used on an axe murderer. However, the discharge of the AC power proved to be non-lethal and the murderer survived the first charge. They had to wait a further eight minutes to provide a lethal shock. Well, a second second lethal shock in which uh, Westinghouse was said to comment it would have been easier to use an axe. Additionally, just as like a bit of closure for this, despite his campaign against Westinghouse, AC power became the preferred voltage as it was faster acting and cheaper to produce. Hence, Edison's use of DC power ended up falling into the wayside. However, with the link to Tesla, which is a character who is more prominent within the prestige itself, their relationship started a little earlier on, and it was not a positive one. Upon working with Tesla for the first time when he came to America, Edison attempted to get him to work on his DC generators and improve their output. Edison promised Tesla $50,000 to improve these generators. These days, that's the equivalent of over $1 million, so quite a big sum to improve what would be the next, theorized the next use of power for the world. Sizable budget. Yeah, quite a sizable budget. However, after improving these generators quite significantly, Edison chose not to pay Tesla for his work, instead insisting that his promise of of reward was a joke that an immigrant couldn't possibly understand. What the So not only did he torture animals, he was kind of racist. 
Oh my god! He's, he was basically during this time he was he was one of those influencers who would pay photographers in exposure. So a c- I mean I'm gonna have to beat that out. So a prick. <laughs> when you use something as an Australian and then realize that the general populace will not be happy with it. Yeah, I'm not gonna cut it. I'm just gonna bleep it. <laughs> so then people get the context. I can't remove yeah. context from this. But anyway, jumping back to the film. We've talked about Edison. He was a jerk. Moving on. What I think is really... I mean, we've talked about what's great about this film. And my criticism of the film, which you can see in the review, is that just the format of it can be quite disjointed. I think we both agreed on that. Mm -hmm. But I think so much more emphasis is put on the story's ability to wave the twist right underneath your nose and then as you look down it's already gone like a magician exactly it uses a magician's style to actually push the same kind of wonder and mystery in the film and i think that's incredibly interesting and it's a format for storytelling that is so rarely done that it's such a nice way of making a film because it is just so different but i will say like my criticism partially to that is that it also doesn't end circularly and this is just like a a cinematography or I guess more editing critique is that the film opens with a shot of the hats in a ditch basically Mm -hmm. and it's a bunch of hats and And you kind of expect that to be the end yeah and this is my point exactly in that it's a bunch of hats scattered throughout a ditch and you have no idea what it means at the start and you're just like oh what's that it's a bunch of hats cool and then the film ends with the scene that i actually felt was like a little bit off for the for the entire like uh mood of the film in that it ends on the burning stage well the burning backstage of angia's hideout basically yeah with all of the tanks filled with him yeah dead versions of him but it, like, basically it dollies to one of the tanks where you, we see a dead Borden in it. No, not dead Borden, a dead Angia in it. And it feels like, this is just such, this almost feels like a really ham-fisted way to end the film, where you could just end it with the same narration over it where Michael Caine, in his beautiful Michael Caine-y voice, gives a bit of a monologue about something. <laughs> <laughs> something p- pertaining to magic and the themes that we've seen. But you could have that going over the hats again return back to the hats in the final scene it would have really made the whole film feel a bit more full circle yeah and which I also considering feel like it the fit amount of the fit the mood a little more yeah and considering the fact that they do so many parallels in this story they like yeah. repeating elements the last slide of the film is almost too new of an element well i don't think it's too new i think what's bad about it and i'm actually going to use the word bad about it i think what's detrimental to it is that in this final scene where angie is confronted at the backstage we're we're given the illusion or we are alluded to the fact that he's killed more than one or two of himself Mm. he planned on doing a hundred shows his intention was basically to kill a hundred versions of himself plus the one that he shot <laughs> hundred and one but we, we never see the tanks with the bodies inside we see them darkened out and we never actually see the bodies until right at the end where we get a pan to one of them mm. and Borden doesn't look at them he 
he kind of glances at one and then passes on and does what he came to do and then leaves. Mm. If we'd left without seeing all that, we still would have gotten the implication or the illusion or the alluded to fact that there were bodies in there. And then we cut to the hats and we're given the symbolism that the Angiers, that that's the same thing that happened to all the other Angiers. Yeah. But instead we get a pan to a corpse of Hugh Jackman. It kind of feels like this entire movie has been treating you incredibly respectfully. It yeah. believes in the intelligence of his audience until yeah. the very end where it kind of smacks you against the back of the head and goes, get it? They're all yeah. dead. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's going through the film like laying out all this really beautiful intrigue and mystery that it you as you like untangle the strings and figure out oh Borden's got a twin it's like well done you're a very clever individual (laughs) and as you can figure out that Borden has a twin quite early on depending on how observant you are and you you feel smarter depending on how quickly you figure that out and pick that apart and then right at this point where you get to the end and you've like untangled all the bits of thread and you're just like I feel really clever for watching this film you just get smacked in the face and go you're an idiot and then and then you kind of fall out of it yeah and it's, 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 it's not, super unfortunate yeah I, I just feel like it's not necessarily the best way they could have ended the film that especially being said, it's still great but because not, it gave yeah. us this monologue like where just before this moment Angier is talking about how no one cares about the man in the box yeah and you can understand that in his very crazed very warped sense of self that he now has he yeah. genuinely means it he mm. doesn't give two shits about the amount of himself that he has to kill yeah and as long as he gets to see the prestige and he doesn't have to be the one in the box yeah and i think the the fact of that is reinforced purely by the boxes being there because we know we've literally seen these tanks we saw we saw one drown well here's the thing up to this point the boxes have only ever been used to facilitate death yeah. And drowning. No one's actually really escaped from it except, well, other than once, right at the start. Which, you know, it's we've already got a negative connotation. Yeah. It's not like they turned around and was like, but this can mean something positive in the end. Yeah, they were so- just like, no, you know how this is a metaphor for death? Where you smack you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it just didn't really need it, honestly. Mm. It could have done without, but yeah, it's neither here nor there. While we're on the subject of like little critiques that don't really matter too much i think scarlett johansson is though she does a really good job in her role she's very forgettable yeah she was a bit of a weird casting i think she's great in the role but it's also just like if i watch this film a year later i'm gonna go oh yeah scarlett johansson's in this yeah she's she's there she's doing her part yeah she facilitates the story yeah and then that's it and then she's just not in it. She leaves, and it's like, cool, at least she didn't drown in a tank. At least she's not one of the dead wives. Yeah, exactly, because that would be pretty fucking bad. Mm. But with all that said, should we get on to our final thoughts? Do you have any final thoughts, Monique? I did have one final question for you to end out on, which is just, I wanted to, we were just speaking about repeating themes and how we wish there would have just been that last sort of circle back with the repeating themes what was the most notable repeated theme for you throughout the movie uh look i love the brothers repeated theme 
genuinely. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best. I think when you know the twist that the Bordens are the Borden brothers, then you're always looking out for what Fallon's doing. And I think it enhances the enjoyment of the film. I think if you don't know the other twists, like Angie clones himself, and the fact that <laughs> that Michael Caine lied, and that drowning wasn't like going home, it was agony. Mm. I don't. I don't think those necessarily bring a whole lot more than what they are to the film. Whereas the two brothers maintaining the exact same life brings so much to the film. And even knowing that spoiler doesn't actually ruin it at all. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, it makes the film better, which is something that some twists can only dream of doing in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, one question for you, though, I think, is that... I mean, I'll, I will ask what your favourite cir- circularization of themes in a moment, but I just wanted to ask, just... It's completely unrelated to anything, really, that we've talked about, but Angie's trick device for the dove trick to stop it from being crushed and killed. Do you do you feel like that's just too much trouble to go to just to not kill a dove? There's a birdie. I mean, yes... Yes, but no. also you could just not do the trick. Logically, I'm 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 iconic for this. Like in the moment, <laughs> if someone's being emotional and I believe that they should be like on a different subject, I'll be yeah. that person that's like, "But what are they doing? I think what, what's <laughs> happening somewhere else? I think Can we think point, about this logically?" Yeah, I think at the point where Michael Caine's had to basically strap a trampoline to your back, it's probably not worth it. Yeah, but you just also, go, let's just not do the trick. Let's just not do the trick. I. Animals getting hurt in films upset me, so I believe it's worth it. <laughs> That's fair, but also the, the dove dies anyway. Yeah, it's very well. upsetting. I'm yeah. very upset about it. Yeah, I guess that also does kind of partially relate to the fact that the stubborn Borden goes out of his way to ruin Angie's tricks despite and being like, yeah, now we're even, despite him killing his wife. I know. Which feels was... a little off. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, but... What was your favourite kind of uh, the most cir- notable back? repeating theme? Yeah, repeating theme. That's it. <laughs> I really enjoyed the double ups of things as a repeating theme. So not just the that's twins, fair. the two doves, the multiple yeah. hats, the two cats. Like I liked that even though they yeah. were technically separate, we had this theme of double yeah. up or duplication throughout the entire theme. Yeah, throughout the were, entire theme movie. Yeah, I think yeah, we we rarely in this film you rarely deal with singulars or singularities. Yeah. You, you know, know, even in the more abstract, we've got the two yeah. wives, we have the two magicians, we have yeah. the two shows happening simultaneously across the street from each other. Like I yeah. just like the fact that everything is done in multiples. Yeah. I think that's I, I really enjoy that as a concept. And like you were saying, this is one of those things that even if the movie has been spoiled for you, not that I'm really someone who cares about spoilers, it doesn't matter because there's still so much to enjoy and yeah. analyze and look at with the film. Yeah, and I've fun, never yeah. been someone who is upset about spoilers. I've that's always fair. been someone who yeah. like doesn't care, specifically because I believe if a movie is doing what it's supposed to be doing correctly a spoiler shouldn't matter the story will still be Mm. fulfilling it doesn't have to like shock you and trick you to be good yeah and i think it is hilariously poignant that this film works in so many like multiplicities as opposed to singularities that it's most enjoyable when watched twice Mm -hmm. 
And yep, I think that's you great. just hit it on the like yeah. hit the nail on the head. Do you have any final thoughts for this film? Spoiling a movie doesn't make it any less fulfilling. Like it can still be good, even yeah. if you know the twist. So, so of course, if you want to find us on social media, Will is on Instagram at will underscore mortlock, and he's on Twitter at Grey Mouse Inc. And if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Nexatai. Did I get your tag wrong again? No, you got it. You were absolutely correct. <gasps> that time. Yeah. <laughs> if you managed to get our hint for last week, which was another film where the magic of our world is more than it appears to be at first glance, one could even say they need to look twice. Hopefully, you had a few guesses at that. I think that's a pretty good one. We're trying to get better and better at walking this line between too obscure yeah. and two on the nose so yeah absolutely but hopefully even if you didn't necessarily get it or if you did get it you enjoyed it all the same drop us a twitter message and instagram comment i don't know how instagram works i'm not really on that we'll probably respond to it yeah yeah we'd love to hear what your guesses are or if you guessed at all in fact putting out our new hint for next week we have another film where secrets are kept from the ones our protagonists love but can we truly believe that it's to save them from the pain of the truth? Yeah, a little more obscure, but hopefully still good. Yeah, sometimes, hopefully and I think we'll run guessable. into this. Yeah, it's just sometimes we pick movies that are very drastically different, so you really yeah. got to follow that one thread and, like, yeah, tug much, on it hard. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, hopefully, have a few guesses at that. But, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I know we enjoy making them. We'd love to hear feedback, so feel free to do so through any of our contact links. But with all of that said, I guess we will see you next week.